0: Roasting like a blinding mushroom cloud, targeted right at your ear holes, shield what's left of your other senses. We are the portable nuke mortar of the pirate Voxwave 665.66 UHM Achem Rat Radio. Broadcasting live tonight from the cracked Elysium, just minutes away from the newest release by Sonic Massacre of Mayhem.
1: Hey, 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 and by the looks of the crowd, we might just get murdered tonight, boys. I'm not saying my preferred way is to go out in a press of sweaty flesh. But a wall of death is a wall of death. Speaking of murders, six more bodies have been identified as victims of the Corridor 54 killer, found skinned and hanging from their ankles in the Ormenic Manufactorum Districts.
2: Sure looks like they're trying for a high score.
1: There we go, there we
0: go. (laughs) Looking for those chromed out accessories since I can't generate my own bioplasma, I am your guide through the Tangled Vox Waves Goblin King. Joined today by my ever-present and mostly maniacally well-adjusted co-pilot, the mauled mauler of Misfit Alley, Marky. Yo. (laughs) And always keeping us on the straight and narrow, as long as that means we are completely unhinged and completely unrestrained, it's the polar bear of the frost hollow himself, Chuckerfly. And by
2: the straight and narrow, he means I'm rationing it today, because
0: the stocks (laughs) are getting kind of
2: low, boys. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that rail is six inches long sir it should only be two inches long i'm just that's three it's, rails I'm just,
2: I'm just saying did you bring some for everyone
0: <laughs> if you do, yeah don't eat it in class unless you brought enough to share welcome to under the hive of madness episode 91 horus heresy part six the heresy truly begins it's a, it's a weird title because it's it's been beginning but you know i don't know do we like that title we're going with that title. Maybe, That's the title. Maybe,
2: maybe the debauchery begins.
0: The debauchery <laughs> begins. I think that started a while ago, too. Over the last couple of episodes, we have focused on the drop site massacre of Istvan 5 and its aftermath, both in the 30K timeline as well as how those events set up what was to come for the next 10,000 years of the conflict between the Imperium and Chaos. Known as the Long War. At this point, the Loyalists' Iron Hand Space Marine Legion is almost completely wiped out, and their Primarch Ferris Manus has died at the hands of Primarch Fulgrim of the Emperor's Children. The Loyalist Salamanders and Raven Guard Space Marines Legions took heavy losses, something in the 80 to 90 percentile range, with the Primarch Vulcan of the Salamanders having been captured by the traitor Primarch Conrad Cruz, while the Primarch Corvus Korax is taking command of a mixed band of surviving space marines, mostly made up of his Raven Guard, and is mounting an ultimately doomed guerrilla warfare against the traitors on what's left of Istavan V. The loyalist fleet is gone, leaving the loyalists on the ground, those under Korax's command, essentially marooned against a force of the traitor Primarch Angron and his World Eater's Legion plus forces made up of some of the scattered elements of the eight other traitor legions, the Dark Mechanicum and, of course, the traitor Imperial Army forces, which have been left behind to secure the resources of the dying world, or of the dead world, I guess. Not really dying like Estevan III was, it's just always been there. Pretty much nothing of the Loyalist Imperial Army has survived, the exception being any of those that had been taken prisoner to be used and to suffer greatly later in dark rituals and sacrifices needed to bind different elements of the traitor armies to the warp and to start some pretty nasty shit, which we will be talking about the closer and closer we get to the actual Siege of Terra. Their surviving loyalist Astartes and Korax have been fighting their war while clinging to the very edge of survival for almost two months, having little to nothing to speak of for supplies. Other than what they can steal or take in battles, these Astartes warriors are ambushing and attacking the traitor forces all across the wastelands of Istavan 5 just for those precious survival resources that they can get, the last of which contained the second armored column of iron warriors on the edge of the Ilium Rift. This is definitely the survival horror-like story.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was going to ask, because I know you're probably a little more familiar with... 30k now run the, the uh tabletop game than i am mm-hmm. is it is it ran a little more like uh you know like those world war ii games where it's kind of like a reenactment like they have a lot of that or it's based off a lot of that there's a lot is,
0: sorry go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off
1: no then, then it is like 40k where it's like oh yeah you know you can make up your own war here because 30k is essentially like history right and it's the, right. the history of of the 40th 40 K and what happened, how it all started. Whereas like 40 K is like the present, or it can be like a battle that nobody knew about where 30 K it's like a lot of the things are logged as far as what happened. Uh, so like if there was ever a battle between like the world Eaters and the Raven guard, it would be like not, what is the word? Like non canonical, like it's, like you know, how you have like a skirmish of like Raven Guard versus you know the Word Bearers. It's like, was there ever a battle like that? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what 30k is, right? You're fighting Space Marines against Space Marines. There's not there's not a lot of Xenos factions. Uh, mainly Chaos, right? Yeah. So the the biggest
0: difference between 30k and 40k is your forces are loyalists, traitors. They're not Chaos yet. They're loyalists uh, and traitors. There's a couple of demons and a couple of demon engines. But for the most part, it's just Loyalists versus traitors, And then there is the Solar Exilia and the Lunar Exilia, which are part of the Imperial Army. Then there's the Imperial Army, of which there's like seven or eight. Now, there's probably more. There's probably like 10 or 11 main book cohorts for the Loyalists and another 10 or 11 main book cohorts for the traders and there's there's obviously more cuz there's I'm just looking at I'm just coming off of what I've seen what I've right. read so far in the main book. I know that there's a lot of expanded stuff I haven't touched yet. Um and then there's the mechanicum on each side. There's the normal mechanicum and there's the dark mechanicum. Uh the, yeah, well there's the, there's the mechanic hiss and then there's the dark mechanicum and that that's how you're supposed to differentiate them. And those are your main forces. There's no Xenos armies at all. Um and huh. generally speaking, there has almost always been a conflict between two legions, with the possible exception of the Raven Guard, the Salamanders, and the Iron Hands, and the Thousand Sons, just because of timing and the things that happen. But even at that point, you know, when you're playing 30K on the tabletop, you're not running more than. Like maybe 200. It, if you're doing humans, like non Astardase, you're just doing humans, maybe you're never running more than like 200 models. So you got like 60 Raven Guard and a couple of vehicles versus 60,000 Suns and a couple of vehicles. That's canonically doable because there's a chance that those two forces could have met in some unrecorded or some backwater footnote battle. Right. But there are also. Basically, as you said, there's like the Battle of Ilium Rift. There's the Battle of There's the Drop Site Map. Like you can do scenarios that are set in yeah, almost what like those happened. World War Two games, yeah. right? Where yeah. it's
1: like a a reenactment or like the Civil like, War kind of thing. Like the actual, yes. the
2: actual historical battle. This is what they had. This is what said right, which this is would definitely be
1: cool. It but also I feel like it's restrictive, right? I know we're not here to talk about the tabletop game. We're here to talk about. Obviously, the horse heresy, but it's it's always been kind of been in the back of my head, and why I kind of stay away from, yeah, thirty uh, k is because it's like ah, eh, well, I mean, it's kind of just locked in time, right? Like those scenarios, those those things. The
0: biggest play factor that's kind of changed is its alternating uh, activations, yeah, um, which makes the game run a little faster and a little smoother it also it's also not as feels baddie uh you know War, warhammer 40k and age of sigmar are still pretty much In age of sigmar i believe I, the hubbub is it's starting to move away from it but i haven't i haven't actually played my first game of age of sigmar yet so i cannot comment on that but um you know 40k and age of sigmar essentially are the only ones where you move your entire force and then i move my entire force and when you're playing in that style it's it's weird and it's really feels baddie you know when like 30 percent of your models get wiped before you can even move them
1: yeah uh, and back. that are, yeah
0: and that's not something that happens in 30k which i think lends itself more to the story it's telling as well as the combat style but 30k does play because of that i shouldn't say but Because of that, 30K does feel like it plays a little bit more like a historical battle game because almost every historical battle game is, all of them are. The only game that isn't is Warhammer 40K and Age of Sigmar. Those are the only ones where you move your entire force and then your opponent moves their entire force, I believe. I'm sure there's others out there. But, you know, Conflict 47, Bolt Action. um, Gaslands. Yeah, they're all alternative uh activation which just it's it's i mean it's like apocalypse that there is a different feel to that type of gaming
1: yeah to 100% i was just uh more curious than anything like i always just kind of feels like reenactment war yeah. versus like you know so you play some kind of futuristic tabletop game where it's like you know the the world is your oyster anything can happen and that's but,
0: kind of why i feel more attracted to 40k overall one being a xenos player a a whole game setting that doesn't allow me to play crazy aliens doesn't necessarily super appeal i agree um however i will say this i have never seen more titans consistently and i and and the 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 important word there is consistently show up to events than i have for 30k events I have seen more Titans at a single event. There was an event called Kingdom Con that used to run in Southern California that had like a three-day long mega battle where they would put like six or seven tables together and it was literally one side versus the other. And like there could be traitors and sides that switch. Like you could have orcs in the middle of the Imperial line that like leapt off their table sideways to attack both sides and stuff like that. That event that happened once a year I would see more Titans at than any other event that I'd ever seen, like Titans at. However, every time I go to an event that there's a 30k game at, there are like two or three Warhounds at the event. <laughs> like there are always Titans. As to where you go to a 40k event, and like there's going to be the guy who brought a Stampa and there's going to be a guy who brought a Perferon, so to speak, but there's not going to be four space Marine players all running Warhound, like two Warhounds each. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, and that's, it's definitely cool to see the Titanic models on the field amidst foot sloggers. It, it's, it gives a,
1: a nice Epic scale to it. Yeah, I agree. It's always, uh, it's always fun to see the big stuff on the table. Like when was the last time you saw a town on the table, right? No shit. Right. That would be, Oh my God. That'd be awesome. I mean, probably like, not to date this, but probably like a year or two ago. <laughs> but yeah. that, that's besides the point. It's not, it's not so much about the, uh, the viability of it. It was just, it's just seeing it in general. Like, I don't feel like I see something like that very often. It would I mean, be unless co- you go to a huge event.
0: Yeah. Like LVO or something. It would right. be cool if they were to expand the Horus Heresy content to like take in the great crusade. That would be neat because then yeah. you could see orcs and you could see Eldar come back uh because orcs and eldar were fought a lot um and you'd have options to make like kit bash some crazy alien races and stuff were you gonna say hey, chuck
2: could be thanks. interesting oh, i was gonna say that would be cool because you can see alien races that were ju- justifiably wiped out i mean that would yeah, be cool yeah it was actually funny because i know we
0: talked about it during the great crusade episodes in brief and somebody was at somebody I can't remember if it was you, Chuck, or if it was Kevin, but somebody brought up, are the Mecha Arachnids just a splinter of the Tyranids? And I was pretty much like, nothing And lore says they are. And now there's an entire like debate, I guess, like a Reddit debate, as to whether or not the Mecha Arachnids are part of the <laughs> Tyranids that were cut off. You're welcome. Now, there's still no f- actual lore about it, but now there's a debate about it, which is kind of amusing.
2: They're They're the ones that originally got beaten back Yo, even previously, and that's all that was left of him, and leave it to Horus to set him loose.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and the funny thing about all of that is the conflict with the Mecha-Arachnids is like where Lucius started going down. It's where a lot of the Emperor's children started going down the path towards like weird perfectionism. Man, the Emperor's children are going to be fun to cover when we get there. All right. So to get into... Now that we've done a little bit of a summary, to get catch you guys up with the last couple of episodes, make sure that you're nice and refreshed. Let's talk about what happens to our boys, the Raven Guard, throughout the rest of the uh, Istavan 5 tragedy. We're, we're definitely out of the massacre. Range and it's kind of hard to quantify all of this, but let, let's call it the Istvan V tragedy. The Raven Guard attacks drew more of the traitors' attention, with the Word Bearers eventually pushing deeper into the Ilium Rift, using technological and psychic means to attempt to locate and eliminate the Raven Guard once and for all. However, the Raven Guard simply moved ever deeper into their claimed Xenos complex, which itself was actually spread out in a network of tunnels and passages that reached below the rift. So they stumbled across this complex in the wasteland that separates the Ilium Rift from the salt flats. And we'll talk more about the Gollum salt flats later on. Um, But once they had like kind of moved into this complex and taken all of it over, they started finding all of the actual entrances and they found out that the Ilium Rift was just pockmarked with these secret entrances to this base that they were using. and. They could stay in the bait. They could pop up into the Ilium Rift. They could do Raven Guard shit, pop up into the Ilium Rift, stick to the shadows, stick to the, the high places and track the movements of the traitors that were looking for them and then just disappear back into an entrance and no one would ever find them because it was just like a warren of old things. There's a lot in the Raven Guard's lore at this time on Istavan 5 that makes me think of the Fremen from Dune. In a lot of ways, like the popping up out of like these little tiny communities
2: fighting from nowhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Doing these like micro strikes and then fading back into the distance and nobody knows where they came from. So the walls of this complex were made of some unknown Xenos material that seemed to suck up light, confuse electronic systems and even dampen psychic powers. Those hunting above would often pass by several secret entrances without ever finding one of them. However, one group wasn't hunting them with any subtle or arcane methods. The third Iron Warrior column, the largest of the three Iron Warrior columns, was doing it by brute force. They were essentially just going in and shooting rocks. They would blast into the walls. There was no subtlety. There was no trying to find. There was just, we'll break it. To Korax, it seemed inevitable that they would eventually either find it by process of elimination or through blind dumb luck. And so the Raven Guard launched a mass assault. The Raven Lord as ever at the thickest of the fighting, his single remaining lightning claw reaping Perturabo's sons in the dozens. And as Chuck brought up last episode, using a bolt rifle as a pistol.
2: I think I think that's amazing. This is <laughs> head he- with a heavy bolter. God, 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 point
0: blank. Right. With the destruction of their third and final column the Iron Warriors on the planet except for those few who manned the fortifications and walls on the Urgal depression had been completely wiped out as the Raven Guard moved back to their sanctuary the horns of the dark mechanicum blind hunters sounded and the clouds above the plains broke and a heavy black rain began to fall upon the blood-encrusted surface of Istvan V of Istvan V well, we got to do Marquis pronunciation cuz it's nicer This rain forced a ceasefire, and even the hunters withdrew from their efforts. This offered a welcome respite for the Astartes of the Raven Guard, a much-needed chance to consolidate for their officers, and a chance for their apothecaries to work their healing touch. During the height of the rains, Korak slipped out from his own personal recon missions, something he had often done in the past as his Emperor-gifted skills made him excel at covert missions. It was. It is unknown how deep into the Ergal Depression he moved during this recon mission, or what he saw. For what he told, he only reported to Rogal Dorn in a private conversation much later on Terra. But when he returned, he called a council of his most trusted advisors and warriors. The Raven Guard must survive, not just to persevere for the Imperium's might. But while even a single Raven Guard continued to fight, no traitor could rest without fear of their vengeful justice.
1: Kind of weird that, like, a 15 foot tall super soldier in powered armor can go out on stealth missions.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's always been one of those weird things. He absorbs the light himself. Yeah, but it's just like the amount of noise you would make. (laughs)
1: Like, like, uh, I don't know, put yourself in like a uh like legos all around you and you're like this large person and you're trying to sneak around all these legos like it ain't easy somebody's gonna see you <laughs> one of the things that happens quite a bit
0: on terra as the siege draws closer and closer and even as it starts is that some of the primarchs and Astartes and custodes Completely get out of their armor and basically dress in like cloaks and then go out into the city, go out into the imperial palace to like scout and hunt things down. And when they're not in their power armor, when they're just like flesh and blood dudes, they're huge, but they're way quicker and way more agile because they're than they normally are because they're not moving all that shit around.
2: Yeah. So I, it's like entirely.
0: Yeah, it's entirely possible that Korax is doing this out of his armor.
2: Cloth. He's just running around in a loincloth. cloth. Well, Naked, I, I love a, it.
0: I'm sure it's more he's doing it with his full armor and like his suite. It's you know he's like a covert black ops helicopter. You know, it just juts yeah. into an area. It's just, one of the it's one
1: of the things weird. of being <laughs> yeah, one of the things of being covert is like blending in. Yeah, which is something he cannot do. So it's not like
2: he does it at at night in his black armor
1: and like um i don't know how many rooftops there are like you know (laughs) it's like batman (laughs) on a level playing field right like an on a plane like you can only be so stealthy on a on a flat plane right yeah like oh i'll just pretend to be one of these dead bodies like all these people walk by and it's like Yep, that's a Primark mark just laying there. Like that's a that's a fifteen foot tall man. Well, you've got you've got mountains of debris. You've got mountains of skulls. You've got piles
0: of bodies. You probably still have pyres that are burning, plus all the fortifications and all that other shit. So he's probably not dancing in the moonlight, so to speak. <laughs> not, <laughs> he's, he, he's not
2: is, running around at high noon.
0: Yeah, I but feel like is, that. Yeah, that's true. It's always been weird that space marines have like stealth. this stealth thing that gets attributed to them because I've walked around in full plate armor and it's not quiet. <laughs> like it just doesn't seem like a dude in ten feet of steel armor would be capable of being silent, but you know.
1: Yeah. And it's just like, you know, there's only so much the what is it, noise suppressing fucking servos and shit can do. So but it's it is so
0: much rubber. It is their armor, the Mark Four armor, the Corvus armor, the yeah. Beaky armor. It Mark is six. their armor that was it Mark Six. You're right. It is Mark Six. Mark Four was the Thunder Warrior stuff. Um, it was their armor that was created to be stealthy. Like yeah. that was the that the change from Mark Five to Mark Six was the rubber seals and the enclosed gaskets and a couple of other things that specifically made the armor make less noise. Um, and it's weird to call it their armor because it got rolled out to everybody, but it's remembered as being the Raven's Guard armor because it was made to be less loud and it had beaks.
1: <laughs> Still I don't, don't like them. the beaky armor. Oh, dude, I love
0: the beaky helmet.
1: I, I like it, but like for some reason, like even when I was young, I always liked the beaky <laughs> armor for like... Uh, like assault Space Marines, you know what I mean? Like I always liked it for jump pack Space Marines. I never really liked it for like the foot schlogging, foot slogging foot slogging. Good, <laughs> added an H in there. Schlonging dudes. <laughs>
0: I, think you, uh, armor, armor, army, I think in a modern 40K Army, army, I think in a modern, I know, 40K Army, it's cooler when the Beakies are like the captain of your veteran guard, or, or, um, like the yes. captain of your... Stern guard it's, veterans or whatever It's the
2: old. It's the old helmet. So it goes to the oldest dudes in the unit.
0: Yeah. But it's also the most, even in the 42nd millennia among the squat Marines, a, a gun, among the firstborn Marines, it is still the most widely pilfered armor because it, they still see it as being superior and like it's lasted for 10,000 years. So there are chunks of Mark 6 that are still rolling around.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's very very durable, stiff.
0: And it's easy, the part of the reason is because the Mechanicum made it to be easy to repair by the Marines themselves. They didn't need to take their armor back to the Mechanicum to get it repaired. They could do it. So, kind of an interesting side conversation because it impacts a lot of the lore that we're talking about right now other than how to stealth
1: Good questions the other thing i was thinking about is like primarchs and their weapons like he can't just pick up any bolter kind of like chuck was saying where you know he was using a heavy bolter as a as a as a pistol but like can you imagine him with like a normal bolter in his hand is that like like is it like a little 22 to him like can he even get his finger in the the trigger well like does he have to use his pinky or something he has, smaller.
0: He has to hold it upside down and use his <laughs> pinky. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that it is probably I figure it'll bring up some Mark Six power armor. I feel that it I think the bolters are made to be bulky enough to work with their armor. So Primarchs can use normal bolters, but I feel like the Primarch bolter is bigger. And I think like even on the models, like if you get Gilliman um or the lion right now, and you look at their hands, and you look at the bolt rifles; they'll fit in them. Hmm. So primarchs are bigger, but but they have dexterous fingers, and I think the like percentage difference is is less than. You know, the percentage difference between six foot one and nine feet is greater than the percentage difference between nine feet and 12 feet, I guess. Well, yeah. like, I, I mean, like obviously it's
1: like a pea shooter, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, they probably chamber the same. Well, no, I, I imagine he picked up a heavy bolter because he wanted to one shot stuff and be done with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I feel like it's because his finger didn't fit. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs>
0: well, and the heavy bolter also fires the largest caliber. And it could have been the easiest to find because it would have been one of the first weapons ditched. And that's a really big consideration with the way that they were fighting is if you're running from the field, you're going to drop your heaviest weapon first. And you're going to, you know, the, the heavy bolter guy is going to switch out to his pistol. And if you're a chasing world eater... You're going to drop your heavy bolter first to get that little bit of extra speed to chase down the dude that just switched to his pistol. So I imagine another part of it is probably that the heavy bolter was the easiest thing to find. There were just more of them kind of left around. Not to mention, that's going to be the first dude that people are going to shoot. You know, you want to take out the heavy bolter guy before you take out anybody else because he can do the most damage, right?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I, who
0: knows? Maybe I, I... Possibly completely overthink it. It's Warhammer 40k. He was carrying
1: around a heavy bolter because of rule rule of cool. <laughs> like that was yeah, it. <laughs> it, most definitely. That, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. It was like him running around with the heavy bolter, just uh, use, being just, used as a pistol is just a cool one. One, yeah, thing one shot
2: to. dudes right in the head.
1: Yeah, looks like fucking Fabio in this picture for three, six, or nine dollars. You can see what picture we're talking about right now. Oh, yeah, join our Patreon. And you can and see him with his madness. giant ass bolt pistol too. I was gonna say that thing looks like a, uh, it, it looks like super simple. It looks like it's shooting a, <laughs> what do you call it? One of those, uh, those metal lead pellets. From yeah, like a Civil like a hive Hulk. gun. <laughs> yeah, like, like a, a hive gun. Musket. It does not look like a bolter at all. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like oh, like a pipe gun. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. From yeah, uh, like Fallout. From, uh, Fallout. Yeah, uh, it has to be extra simple because it's so big in his hands. Right. Space marines aren't made to break or
0: surrender to cowardice or weakness of will. But in the face of such apocalyptic slaughter and at nearly two months of fighting at the edge of survival, many of the Raven Guard had descended into a twilight existence somewhere between exhaustion and rage, denial and defection. Their already pale features were even more pallid and their eyes were even more hollow. Sleep was uncommon, real food was even harder to come across. Their armor was a patchwork of salvaged plates and parts from any of the legions who had died on Istavan V, in many cases only vaguely resembling uniform black it had once been. Around the 40th day after the massacre, a large force of wordbearers under the command of warlord Alexis entered the Ilium Rift. Determined they were somewhere within and ready to claim the glory of their capture, and elimination for himself in another case that proves how fractured the traitors were he had kept the knowledge from even angron the raven guard didn't launch an all-out assault this time and simply watched the traitors from the shadows letting them penetrate kilometers deep into the tangled maze of ravines before springing their trap their raven guard ambush engaged the word bearers in a way that cut their forces off from one another allowing them to be easily defeated they essentially cut them into smaller and smaller groups And the reason they did that is their objective was actually to capture prisoners. All but one of the word bearers the Raven Guard attempted to capture managed to kill themselves. But one survivor was dragged before Korax and a collection of his warriors high on top of a rain-soaked ridge. None will speak of the lightning-lashed night that the traitor was interrogated on, or the death that he was finally afforded. But soon after, a stream of new orders was sent through the Raven Guard confirmation that Angron was the last Primarch in Istavan V, and that his legion was the only one at full strength had been gained. But perhaps the most vital piece of intelligence was that Angron knew Korak still lived and was set out to kill his brother. The world eaters also knew the Raven Guard were somewhere within the Ilium Rift and they were preparing a massive assault. Alexis had been trying to steal the thunder and glory out from underneath Angron.
1: That is a very interesting way to spell... Alexis, Alexis. <laughs> that is exotic that's that's fan-
2: that's a 10 dollar handle E L E
1: X I S it's it's uh it made me
0: think of Alexis from Shitt's Creek like that I'm a little bit Alexis song that she sings that's like pretty awful
1: <laughs> and
0: I was just like imagining this like kind of prim and proper slightly pretty like nine foot tall space marine dude singing this
1: song <laughs> you know i'm I'm also kind of curious because it's like primarchs run around without their helmets at least that's what it seems like a lot i mean how hard is it to take a heavy bolter and just give him one right in the fucking kisser right S-
2: so i don't know if ryan's gonna t- touch on that later but <laughs> something similar to what you just said does happen to a primark. Oh uh, well, that's what he gets, shoulda wore the helmet.
0: We will definitely be covering a lot of primark death as we move forward. Uh one of the things that's always kind of struck me about that is I was thinking about that even on the like tabletop. Yeah. I think a lot of the art, especially from the heresy and the great crusade comes from remembrancers and like, or that's the way that we're supposed to take it. Like if, if we lived in the universe, the art that we see of the primarchs from the great crusade were done by remembrancers. That's the reason that it exists. And like, it's just like that
2: primarchs face.
0: Yeah. It's like that old knightly thing. The knight would pose holding his helmet under his arm. When they went on the field, they'd be wearing their helmet. But because there's so much imperial artwork or artwork of the Imperium of these Primarchs and these warriors without helmets, I wonder how much of that taints how the modern battlefield works. The more I think about it, it's always kind of weirded me out that there's so many unhelmeted heads in Warhammer 40k. One of the things I really like about the Primaris line is that some of the dudes, actually most of the dudes who aren't wearing a helmet, their helmet is like... On their belt. On their hip or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. So they could be wearing it.
2: Well, that's the thing when you read about the lore of the armor why the new whatever mark it is. What was it? Mark 8? Sergeants were having it. Well, Mark 8, I think, is when they started the big, what is it, the Gorget? Or Gorget. The Gorget around the neck to help prevent beheadings. And now, Mark 10, they all have it. Right. I think, I think it's just shade, like, like
1: that thing that, that, that rim around the, neck. uh, yeah, it's a, it's big. a piece of neck armor. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. I think, yeah. I've noticed a lot of the death watch have that, although the death watch models.
2: Yeah. Cause they're like in Mark, Mark nine, eight or nine. except yeah. it the primaris, but I think you're right. It's like the remembrance Art. it's like, you want to see that angelic face. Yeah. You want to see the face.
0: I think the other thing that happens or the other thing that's really weird about it is that their helmets have really sophisticated communication gear in them. And you'd think that like battlefield communication is incredibly important. So why wouldn't you have it? But then we also have like Titus being an example, you've got the command studs in the forehead and some of those, I think also signify communication gear, whether or not it's like direct neural link or whatever. It's, it's Mm. very interesting. And I think, as I'm playing around with the idea of doing a couple of like primary, not primaries, a couple of space Marine kill teams, like, cause I just, it'd be neat to have a Raven guard kill team. It'd be neat to have like an iron hands kill team sort of thing. I think that I'll kind of try to aim hobby wise to have all helmets. If I can, I think that might be an an interesting thing. You know, of course, if I'm doing an army, you want that variance. You don't want everything to look helmeted because yeah, it just I gets think boring. I mainly
1: stuck with helmets. Cause I suck at painting faces, but well, there's that too, but you know. <laughs> that's, that's mainly why I stuck to helmets and I, I, I feel like it looks cooler, but, but there is, there is some kind of cool aspect of having like the, uh, their face, you know, out there it gives a little more emotion to it. They also have like the little half helmet dealio. Yeah. That they have going on now. Like I've noticed that, uh, like the chaplain on bike, for example, has like the little, uh, just the face, the face piece or the the mouth piece, the
0: the, like Darth Vader mask. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) what they always look like it always looks like Darth Vader or they're they're (laughs) the Reavers that have the lower skull over there. Exactly. That's,
1: that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, That's interesting.
0: That's um, I don't know. I, I, I like it aesthetic. I think it's almost all an art thing. Like even on the at the table, it's all an art thing yeah. at the same time, as I work on white scar stuff at some point in my future, I'm going to have the cons not wearing helmets, like any of the like leaders, any of the, like, cause they all, all the like commanders have something. Their name is something con. Usually I'm not going to put any of those dudes in hell. Like the whole fuck. No, I want that top knot, bro.
1: Yeah. I was gonna say, In, realistically speaking, you could nitpick all kinds of things about forty yeah. K that are like Oh, uh, that's yeah, yeah. kinda dumb. Just like the whole chain sword and like melee and the forty first millennia kind of thing. It's like it's like you're complaining about dudes not wearing helmets, but then right. they're running around with the sword on their hip when there's, you know, nukes and whatnot that can just at the push of a button. Oh
0: yeah, the, the whole idea that you have spaceships that are capable of destroying an entire planet from orbit by themselves, and you're still sending troops to the ground send, to fight. Send it's, in the men. Yeah, send them in. Like what you'd probably do in 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 that case is you would have your navy strike force just hit. I think we talked about this. Yeah. You, you hit the like three or four water treatment plants and the two or three communication centers. Then you send a, a message down, being like, "We can keep doing this." And then that planet's going to be like, no, it's cool. We surrender.
1: <laughs> We're not
0: going to fight you. That's what I you, thought. You might I was about have to come down there without my helmet on. <laughs> right. You might have like gorilla in, resistance in my short sword in my short sword. <laughs> the swords make sense because a lot of combat in a vacuum sealed scenario, you do you don't, not want don't to want be firing bolters. Yeah.
2: You don't want a hole <laughs> hole in the side of your ship.
0: Yeah. You're gonna probably fight with some sort of melee weapon, but again, couldn't like, you
1: develop like an energy weapon that doesn't penetrate the whole of a ship? Though, I mean, if you're that yeah, far in the future, it would be that hard to develop a yeah, but technology then, like that technology. Like,
2: but but then that weapon is not penetrating the the armor of a space marine. Yeah,
0: and the whole reason that a chainsword exists is
1: because what if it's you a develop armor weapon? that like just destroys what's on the other side of that armor? Like, let's say now you're, say ta- you, now you you're talking about like, orcs it almost so like sonic that. weapons that scramble the inside of whatever's right. in whatever's yeah. inside the can, right? Now you're, yeah. Well, there there's three
0: go. sounds that the human mind specifically, there's three mechanical sounds that the human mind like freaks out about. And they are the sound of a shotgun chambering a shell, which is why in action movies people will chamber a shotgun shell like 12 times before they fire. <laughs> Um, which really irritates You're me. You're really I,
1: just unloading all of your shells. Right? I write, like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you... <laughs>
0: do not cock the God damn it. He cocked it again. Um, but that's one of them. The next one is, like, the second one is like a wood chipper or anything like a wood chipper, like a like paper a, shredder. Nah, yeah. Like the, okay, I got you. And then the top one is a chainsaw. So the chain very much is a weapon. Uh, it, the chain exists because the space Marines wanted to make people pee their pants. It's not because it's yeah. practical.
1: <laughs> Dude, I was watching Scarface with the wife the other day because apparently she said I, I put it on like just oh, randomly. Right. And uh, she walked in. She's like, what are you watching? I'm like, Scarface, and she's like, "Oh, I've never seen it." And I'm like, "Sit the fuck down, we're we're watching this right now, right?" Like, it got to the chainsaw scene, and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want something like that running up on me for sure." Have you have you played Grand Theft Auto Vice City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have, have found the chainsaw room?
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I never realized oh. it because I hadn't seen, I played Vice City before, before I had you saw seen Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, Got it. I Got watched it. Scarface after I played Vice City, realizing that it was kind of loosely based on that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's that, Miami Vice, and a couple of, but it's, it's, and it's great that you can find the chainsaw in the bathtub, in the chainsaw. Yeah, Bathroom. Crazy. With the knowledge that Angron was planning a massive assault on the Rift, Korax started to make preparations for the Raven Guard to relocate once again. Some of the Raven Guard wanted to fight and die in a last stand, but it became clear that whether they lived or died, it would be at the word of their Primarch. The evacuation was both well-timed and lucky. The rear guard of the Raven Guard forces were standing at the threshold between the Rift and the Wasteland Beyond, gazing westward. Korax joined them as a force of blind hunters signaled their corrupted dirge as they found the main entrance to the Raven Guard's former old hideout. A massive, filthy, blood encrusted white and blue livery of Stardust warriors of the world eaters swarmed along the far horizon behind them before firebombs swallowed the entire region of the rift, set off in a rage by the world eaters as their quarry had once again slipped away. So the Ilium rift is a very long region that's not that deep. Um, and it's a tangle that it's like a tangled maze. Essentially this style rift seems to be really prevalent in video games. You know, world of Warcraft has an area that's like a tangled rift fucking um, breath of the wild has one Uh, monster hunter has like 12 of them. Um, And like, just think of any of those like deep Canyon rifts when we're talking about the Ilium rift, but the Ilium rift is only like 10 kilometers deep. It's just like two or three hundred wide. So they left and they go up to this wasteland region that borders the Ilium Rift and the salt flats. They don't go into that. That wasteland isn't that deep either. It's just like a transition region. So they go up onto that area and then they move along that quicker rather than going through all the chambers of the rift to a different place in the rift. And then they come back down into the rift. Essentially, they kind of like, go out and skirt around so they're not running into this new massive when we when i mentioned the wasteland the wasteland isn't a named region it's just like a transition region i guess is the point i'm getting at mm-hmm. chuck did you have something there
2: i was gonna say the riffs like every standard thing in every like cowboy movie where the bad guys run to right exactly it's that except, deep canyon except, except now it's the good guys on the run yeah. Think of the Grand
0: Canyon. Make the Grand Canyon like twenty times more com- convoluted and twisty. It's a good point, Chuck. I should have just led with Hollywood movies. <laughs> After leaving their sanctuary, the Raven Guard Legion entered its final desperate phase of this fight for survival. At just about eighty days since the events of the drop site massacre, hundreds more Raven Guard had died and the ranks were wearing extremely thin. Those two wounded to easily move when the evacuation had happened had taken their own lives so as not to be a burden on those who would have preferred not to leave them behind at all. So there were troops that just knew, like, they're not going to leave because they're going to try to help us, and they just fucking blew their heads off. The fighting was continuous, and a grim acceptance of the inevitable had begun to take hold. The surviving Astardace didn't fight on towards some hoped victory. They simply fought on as death was their only alternative. Even as they managed to stay one step ahead of the blind hunters and world eaters at their heels, it was a continuous battle with their foes constantly seeking to bring them into a final or like a final conflict. It became apparent that the loyalists wouldn't find another refuge either in the Ilium Rift or the wasteland beyond. Even time needed to properly recon and scout had become a luxury that they no longer had the Raven Guard just couldn't get the upper hand or set up any ambush tactics that had always been their nature. They were pressed ever eastward toward the trackless and inhospitable Golar Salt Plains, an uncharted region that even the Astartes' transhuman physiology could not survive in for long. So across this tiny strip of wasteland are these salt flats, these salt plains. And these salt flats are so toxic and so fucked up That they eat away at ceramite armor and then they get into your system and they freeze your joints and they kill you. You you essentially die of exposure. That sounds fun,
2: fun, yeah. Yeah. It's the type of
0: thing where you imagine like guardsmen don't go out there, you'll be stripped to the bone in two minutes. Like, well, how do you know? Oh, because Bob, the space Marine was stripped to the bone in 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> like, like, Oh, oh. <laughs> excuse me. I soiled myself. <laughs> so at this point, are there still, uh, like frigates and shit in orbit? Like, are there other, are the, are the Traitor legions still in orbit or have they, have they moved on from this point And I've. Gone and started like other plans because it sounds like it's just the world eaters and some other uh legion right at this point it's the world eaters and kind of like the uh, they, like a ragtag they, group of traders
0: yeah and it's a, a lot of times they're kind of described as like the people that horace like it's the shit detail like yeah yeah you're getting you're getting sent to alaska style um there was a fairly large Mechanicum force a fairly large chunk, if not all of the world eaters fleet uh, and several other ships still up in orbit. Um, it took a while to gather everybody and to gather all of the war material that they were going to like salvage and fix and come up with a plan as to what was going to happen. But yeah, at, at 80, 90 days after it's pretty much just the world eaters and some like the world eaters, the dark mechanicum, and some support craft. There's not a lot of other ships up there anymore.
1: So what you know, there might were, be like a frigate for the
0: word bearers, a frigate for the Emperor's Children, it's just like a token frigate or whatever.
1: What were the loyalist forces doing at this point then? Because I know they retreated, but at this gone. point. Yeah, they're just gone. They they don't the loyalists
0: at this point don't think anybody survived Istvan 5. Oh. The exception of one dude who will convince some other dudes to do something. But otherwise, the, I mean, there's two things happening here. And this is actually, I bring it up in a little bit, but this is kind of a good time to talk about it anyway. A lot of times when we talk about Warhammer 40K and Warhammer, for, uh, Warhammer 30K, Warhammer 40K, the Warhammer 40K universe, And we talk about how like 90 days have passed or like two months have passed or whatever. We have a tendency as people who live on a planet that is connected by instantaneous communication between California and China to think that like. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. News would have traveled. But you got to think like space takes longer for stuff to travel. Terra is like 50 light years away or something. That's not that bad. (laughs) If, If it's a laser beamed communication, it's going to take 50 years to get there. So if it's being relayed through astropaths, it's probably going to take like two to three weeks to get
2: there, essentially traveling through the warp. And that's going to be an astropath screaming and them not knowing what he's saying on the other end when it happens. Yeah. And then once the news gets to
0: Terra, they have to talk about it and decide how they're going to respond. And then they have to send a fleet out to respond. And that fleet could take... 50 days to get there. So like it's, it's even kind of doubtful at this point as to whether or not the loyalist fleet that had to flee and jump blindly into warp space has
2: even made it out of the warp. And if they have yeah. made it out of the warp, where are they? Cause, cause that's the thing to probably should touch on when we started again. The warp is in turmoil again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not, the, it's not the warp it's, for the loyalists is in turmoil. Yeah. Work for the loyalists for some weird reason is in turmoil yeah. that the
0: traders are able to use it to communicate relatively quickly. But again, it's a relatively quickly. So Magnus at this point, 80, 90 days later has reached out to Horace and that's not because Prospero burn happened 90 days ago. It's because that signal has just taken 50, 60 days to reach Horace. And then that, is, uh, you know, and then that, Needs to be that that warp communication needs to be like finalized and settled and, and channeled and all that. So, and this is the stuff that the webway would have fixed. The webway that Magnus broke <laughs> was the loyalists exactly.
2: wouldn't have had this problem. <laughs> exactly, yeah. they just would have shown up on the planet out of nowhere.
1: The emperor would have listened. Magnus wouldn't have broken.
0: Uh, as far as the full timeline goes. The original drop site massacre was about three and a half hours long. The battle above the planet in the fleet was about it, I've seen nine to about 48 hours longer, which I realize is a relatively big range. And then at that point, so two, two days after the massacre, the loyalists jump into warp. And these are like unplanned emergency warp jumps. So, if you figure that the next system is probably a three-day warp travel away, and then at that point you're going to take time to like repair and come up with what you're going to do, it's probably two weeks before the loyalist fleet is really like heading out trying to warn somebody. And we'll get to an example of that actually towards the end of the episode of, of, ex- of how quickly a rushed communication happened between Estevan Five and Earth and Terra. But a good, very good point. Very good question, Mark.
1: Uh, I do stuff. (laughs) You have good insight, man. (laughs) You're just trying to make me feel better so I show up every week. (laughs) Got to butter you up somehow. (laughs)
0: And so the
1: end begins. I thought the end begun like four episodes ago. And so the end end of the (laughs) end begins. (laughs)
0: This was the wow. endiest of ends that this... Istavan 5 ever ended in. Oh my god. <laughs> do, I, do I sound like a GW uh, core rulebook writer yet? As the loyalist Stardays fought battle after battle of their never-ending withdrawal, the western skies flickered with temporary white-hot stars as the dark mechanicum began to incinerate each region they had cleared of salvage their actions expanding ever outward from the Urgal Depression as if it was chasing the survivors. Even as the Wastes echoed with Angron's bellowed challenges for his brother to turn and face him, the Raven Guard fought on, trapped between the unforgiving salt plains and the Dark Mechanicum firestorm that marched towards them. Outnumbered ten to one, with no means of resupply or reinforcement and further harassed on their flanks by the World Eater's Scorpius and Whirlwind tanks. Korax remained silent, not issuing a word to turn and stand for one inevitable last battle all knew was fast approaching. On the smug, tainted sunrise of the 98th day since the massacre, the remaining 3,000 Raven Guard crested the final ridge and looked out upon the blasted, toxic ruin of the Garlock Salt Flats. They faced whirlwinds of fire and the howl of tortured winds, a cacophony of sound that was almost enough to drown out the bang of tens of thousands of world eaters that were charging at their backs. At last, Korax gave the order, and with their backs to the blasted salt flats, the Raven Guard would make their final stand. They had proven themselves loyal to the end, choosing a desperate struggle for survival over the betrayal of their own oaths a choice they had made simply because it was in their nature. Before the Raven Guard swarmed the massed traitor legion of the world eaters, their once blue and white armor now splattered and stained with the caked blood and gore of hundreds of battles, Angrod strode at their lead, roaring for the blood of his brother Primarch Korax. Driven mad by the butcher nails, neural rage implants deep in their brains and filled with the blood oaths that they had sworn to their Primarch, the world eaters charged covered by the shells and missiles spat forth from their tanks and grand savage challenge rose above this oncoming roar. They said outnumbered 10 to one at one point, And then they said yeah. 3000 of versus tens of thousands. So let's see, let's, can we do some math? But 3000, can
1: tens of thousands mean like 30, times 12, 10. 12,
0: Twelve thousand. 3,000 times 10 is 30,000. So it's 3,000 Raven guard Mad. versus at least 30,000
2: world eaters. That's, that's tens of thousands. And it's probably more.
0: It's honestly probably more. It's probably closer to like 60 or 70,000 world eaters. I would guess but those are odds, bro. I mean, like if that, if that fight comes up on the board in the casino, who are you voting on?
2: <laughs> Who are you putting I, your scratch I, I down did, on? I did. I didn't hear no bell. I didn't hear no bell.
0: I got five dollars on Corax's boys.
2: Oh, that's that's
0: the one to ten odds, boy. It's gonna pay off real well if you're right, but fuck, you're gonna lose if you're wrong. <laughs> As the first bolt rounds of the World Eaters began to smack into the ceramite armor of the assembled Loyalist survivors, Korax issued what all assumed would be the last order of the Raven Guard Legion. Here they would stand and fight to the last. It was then that the blackened skies split with the thundering of black-winged gunships descending like carrion birds to feast at the sight of some great battle. Their weapons blazing, missiles, plasma, lad shots, and white-hot promethium gouging lines of death, not into the remaining Raven Guard, but into the headlong charge of the rage-blind world-eaters. The roar of jets became deafening as dropships emblazoned with the Raven Guard heraldry descended on pillars of fire to land along the ridgeline, loyalists scrambling to provide cover fire even as they cleared spaces for these craft to land. As hydraulic legs locked into place and assault ramps slammed open, the survivors gazed at their rescuers with stunned disbelief. This desperate rescue mission had been planned by Commander Nev Braun, the Raven Guard captain who had been left in charge of the Legion's homeworld of deliverance. Without much further thought, the battle became a hasty retreat, with bolter fire and heavier weapons clearing enough breathing room for the Raven Guard to escape back into orbit. Where Angron had thirsted to end the Raven Guard in fire and blood, it was fire that had been the loyalists' deliverance. From the planet Horus had designated the Raven Guard's tomb, Angron was denied his final bloody prize. Korax never knew what had driven Braun to mount the rescue, and the captain was reluctant to reveal the truth, for the information for the means had come from the prophetic dreams of Marcus Valerius Prefector of the Therion Cohort the Imperial Army regiment that was part of the Raven Guard's expeditionary fleet. Against the orders and will of his masters, Prefector Valerius risked all to rush to the Istvan system, fearing the loyalists had lost and the Raven Lord was in dire need of rescue. Remember, we talked about this just a couple of minutes ago, with interstellar distances comes the speed of interstellar communication. So if it took a month to travel, Valerius would have had to dream the truth potentially weeks before the news of the massacre would have even spread throughout the Imperium. He had to start moving before the news of the massacre would have even been able to get to him. Valerius also had to convince Bronn, which was which almost cost the man his life. It was only then that the Thousand Raven Guard left to guard Deliverance and the Theron Cohort have been able to make the almost impossibly swift voyage across half the galaxy to mount a rescue. A rescue mission that crossed 50,000 light years and came just in time. An almost impossible scenario for most to even conceive as possible. It has been said in the modern era of the 42nd millennium that only the divine inspiration of the Emperor could have led to such a conclusion. So basically, this prefector dude had psychic foresight of what was happening on Estevan five and then had to go convince a captain of the Raven guard, a dude, a man, just a normal man had to go convince the captain of the Raven guard that his dreams were true and then mobilize the Raven guard to like launch this rescue mission. And it's one of those things where like Braun probably should have just fucking murdered this guy. Like, Oh, you're a witch blam
2: done yeah
0: nobody ever yeah. gets rescued
2: that one that one's actually uh, audio that i've listened to and it's quite a, uh, it's quite it's quite interesting because it describes how he's uh, you know how we're talking earlier about you know you get to see uh the the angelic face of the primarchs you right. never see the grit of the actuality of it it describes the grit of this actual commander he's like so i took my second shower that I'm allotted for the week with the rationed water on the ship, it's like, yeah. oh, fuck, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's just it it's it's crazy to think that all of this timing had to be perfect in order for them to get rescued. And it's it literally like it fits with the the God Emperor cult that exists in modern 40k, but like. Of course, the Emperor had to have manipulated that. Somebody the gave him protects. the vision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Marky, we actually have a quote for
2: you. Uh, dude, dude, <clears throat> dude, in some disgusting chaos traitor voice. Is this is this a traitor voice?
0: Yeah, because this is something that's been carved into the flesh and bones of the loyalist dead. This is not a, this is not a,
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all All gods are dead except the god of war phrase repeatedly found carved into the flesh of loyalist dead drop site massacre war zone of the hundreds
0: of thousands of loyalists who fought on Istvan five barely a handful escaped to bring news of the treachery of four more space marine legions to the imperium A hundred and thirty three days after the drop site massacre, a critically wounded Korax arrived at Terra after having made a dangerously fast dash through the warp. So he was rescued ninety eight days after he got to Terra a hundred and thirty three days after that. And keep in mind, one Istvan system is a convolucence of a lot of stable warp paths. And two, it's not really that far from the core. It's far enough from the core, but close enough to the core to make it seem like a place that Horus would have set up a second empire essentially. So like if you wanted an idea, it's the distance between Rome and Constantinople or whatever. Like if you want to, that's probably not correct, but it's not, it's not that far away. But he had to make a super dangerous jump. And even at that, it took thirty-five days for him to get from Ishvan to Terra. On on the rolling the dice, you've got to get three twenties in a row or you're gonna fucking melt. <laughs> or what what's what's Solo say? Jumping through hyperspace ain't like Dustin Crops, kid, if you you make a wrong yeah. calculation, you bounce too close to a gravity well or pass through a sun or whatever. Yep. Not fun. Not yeah. fun if it doesn't go right. No, no, it's, it's really, well, with more screaming and demons. Vulcan would remain missing and presumed dead for many more months, although he would later make it back to Terra himself and take control of his legion once again. The Salamanders, Raven Guard, and Iron Hands, collectively called the Shattered Legions, would spend the rest of the heresy rebuilding their gutted legions, playing very little in any more of the conflict itself. The Primarchs that have survived come up a couple more times, and like very obviously there are Salamanders and Raven Guard and Iron Hands in battles, but the entire Legion never really plays a role again. They just can't. The Raven Guard is the one we have a figure for. If 3000 got off the planet and 4000 and there was a thousand at deliverance, that means there's 4000 and the Raven Guard lost the smallest percentage of the three legions. So if Raven Guard's strength at 80% is 4000, and then you think the Iron Hand that the salamanders are at like 90, have lost 90% of their strength, then the salamanders have to be at like what 2000? And then the Iron Hands are like, Lost 98% of their strength. So, what do they, they've got? Like 500 dudes somewhere? Like, not, not good. Yeah, it's
2: not, it's numbers. not good. No, they're.
1: And the Raven Guard, the only reason <clears throat> that they were able to have, I guess, not as a detrimental time on Ishtvan was because they were saying we should retreat.
0: Basically, yeah. They,
1: well. And not hold their
0: ground. Two, two things happened. First off, while Korax and Vulcan were trying to decide what to do, that the position was nuked and Vulcan vanished. Um, and and who knows how many salamanders went with him. But yeah, the second thing was the Raven Guard were further, slightly further away from their drop pods than the salamanders were. So for the salamanders, it made more sense to get to the drop pods and try to escape off planet that way. As to where the Raven Guard were like, fuck it, let's run into the desert, basically. Um, it's also... A lot of this story is about the Raven Guard, and because it's about the Raven Guard, we talked a lot about the Raven Guard. But it's very much hinted at throughout the entire thing that there are Salamander and Iron Hand survivors with the Raven Guard during all of this.
2: Yeah, they're, yeah. They're the, what's, what's left of them that make it off the planet are with them the whole time yeah they're all kind of
0: one collective force it's just korax is the Primarch that's there and the bulk of the force is raven guard so you know maybe there's a thousand salamanders or 500 salamanders and 250 iron hands or something that are along with them or you know there are there are Units that escaped later from Istvan 5-2, and it's in 1s or 2s, it's not in big numbers, but plus you have to think all of the fleet space marines, all of the fleet space marines obviously, like the ones that had to be on the ships escaped. But even at that, you've got like 50 guys here, 10 guys there. The salvage that was collected in the weeks and months after the massacre by the Traitor's Legion and the Dark Mechanicum would go on to serve Horus in the front lines for the coming conflict many of those vehicles seeing service in the very next battles. And some of them have survived into the era of modern 40K, still seeing conflicts alongside the Chaos Space Marines in the 42nd millennia. That's a really interesting thing about Chaos Space Marines. There are, they're still using armor and tanks and vehicles and guns from battlefields from the Horus Heresy. Not just because they have to, because they still work. The massed fleet of eight legions, over 3,000 spacefaring vessels, were packed to the gills with the warriors and war materials sworn to the Horus, all in orbit around the fifth planet of the Istvan system, awaiting transit to the Mendeville Jump Point. It was here that eight of the traitor primarchs met with Horus on his flagship, the Vengeful Spirit. The meeting included Horus, Fulgrim, Angron, Mortarion, and Logar, all attending in person, while Perturabo, Conrad, and Magnus the Red joined by holographic transmissions that were somehow allowed to pass through the warp instantaneously. The Primarch, Magnus the Red, and his thousand sons, bitter at what they perceived as betrayal of the Emperor, willingly joined Horus's cause at this point. Of this council of traitor Primarchs, notably absent, was Alfarius, and they laid out plans for the battle to come. Each legion receiving its marching orders before leaving to execute on them
1: so is this is this like the first meeting after all of the uh the great betrayals happened essentially
0: yeah this probably took place within that 90 day within that 98 day period that the raven guard were being hunted down Mm -hmm. Angron got you know Angron leaves orders to the world eaters to continue hunting them, gets called up to the ship for some meeting. I would imagine it probably happened within the first month. Probably. Um, I think it would have and then been really quick. The, yeah. And then the ships are slowly me- leaving to go to that next jump point. And that's that's a thing that happens a lot as we talk about, we'll talk about more crusades and more battles in the future. There's a lot of these like stable Istvan is a stable system with access to easy warp jump spots. But the like anchored point, the Mandeville jump point is like in the middle of no, like there's no stars around it. It's just an area they know they can jump to. And then from there, like Istvan has two or three quick passages that are stable. And one of them goes to Mandeville. Mandeville has like 90 because it's just this giant chunk of interstellar space. That's like stable basically. Um, there's one, um, the Tau, uh, we've talked about the Tau one, which is, uh, it's, they named it a, the Tau named it something Bay. And that's just kind of like, it happens a lot. There's these stable warp areas that you can travel to quickly. Tom, Tom would know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he brought it up. Unknown to the Raven guard operatives of the alpha Legion had secreted themselves into the survivors during the drop site massacre and its aftermath. These operatives had been surgically augmented to resemble some of Korax's dead warriors. These Astartes taking the place of these dead warriors in the confusion of the prolonged withdrawal action. Alpharius and Omegon had received intelligence from the secret Xenos organization known as the Cabal that the 19th Legion Raven Guards would be receiving an extremely valuable top-secret Imperial asset one which would be of particular importance to Horus in the near future. The Alpha Legion Primarchs even impersonated Horus, ordering the World Eater's ships to allow Bronze rescue fleet to escape the planet. So another thing that had to happen, they had to impersonate Horus to let them escape. And if that hadn't happened, again, the Raven Guard just would have been wiped out. We have mentioned the Cabal a couple of times, and much like our upcoming episode where we will focus on Malkador the Sigilite, We'll be giving the Cabal some future lore love. However, in brief, the Cabal was a secret organization dedicated to the eradication of chaos. Membership to the Cabal being drawn from over a thousand different Xenos cultures, including the Eldari and humanity. The Cabal claimed that they had been battling the Primordial Annihilator, another name for chaos, since long before the race of humanity could string together a thought or even walk upright. The Cabal was enacting a plan to wipe out chaos from the warp, a plan which they had begun before the heresy even started, and in a twist reveal, a plan that the Alpha Legion had actually been recruited into years before the events of the Istvan system. So the Alpha Legion this entire time has been acting on orders from the Cabal to eliminate chaos eventually which is just one of those little Alpha Legion kernels that helps to spread the idea that they're somehow not actually traitors, and then they've only been acting out their needed part in some grand plan. However, as the eventual fall of the cabal happens, the organization became a threat to even the Eldari people. It's hard to confirm or get into any more details of this with a quick aside, but just to give you guys some context, listeners some context into who the cabal is, because we've mentioned them a couple of times.
2: And I for I forget which book it is they come into with the Alpha Legion, but it's a really good book.
0: It, it the Alpha Legion stuff is pretty neat. the The Cabal basically the the Farseers of the Cabal had essentially laid out three potentials of how the future would happen, and one of them was Horus wins, and essentially. In one of them, Horus wins, and in one of the the emperor wins, and in both cases, the the galaxy fell to chaos really fast. It was like completely consumed by chaos in a couple of years. In their like not best case scenario, but their like third place scenario, the one that they were willing to to accept, there would be ten thousand years of civil war. That essentially what actually happened. In the last scenario, the one that they were trying to engineer, and they were working with the Alpha Legion to do it, and they were working with a couple of other things. They were even like manipulating Erebus to manipulate Horus. Style stuff was happening with the Cabal pulling strings and like putting things into play. They were essentially trying to have Horus embody a certain amount of chaos so the Emperor would destroy... Basically, the Emperor and Horus would destroy each other at the same time. Um, And then, like, the chaos gods would die. And because the chaos gods had died and because the emperor was there, because the emperor might be a chaos god, blah, 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 blah. No chaos would exist anymore. The warp would completely calm again. And that's the brightest future. That's the best um, ending to the video game. (laughs) That's the ending. Everybody wants to get their first playthrough. So the Cabal are, like, manipulating all this stuff. Now, if the Cabal are right or wrong, we're not really getting into what the cabal's actual theories are we're not really getting into because it's literally its own its whole own episode but the reason that we've been really weird about what Alpharius is doing and what Omegon is doing and what the Alpha Legion is doing this entire time is because that's how it's presented in lore it's presented in lore as they might be good they might be bad they might
2: be working for the cabal who knows they might be dead they might not not be dead one of them might be Gilliman right now
0: yeah you never know (laughs) i am malfarious i don't know what you're talking about but eventually the cabal end up being a um at least bad guy to the imperium <laughs> they get wiped out the eldari and the imperium kind of wipe the cabal out they are fun though the fleets of angron fulgrim mortarion logar and horus would rendezvous at mars since the red planet had fallen to tech priest Regulus and horus's supporter in the dark mechanicum during the schism of mars Don't worry, we're planning to cover the schism of Mars in more detail soon. But this conflict saw some of the major manufacturing facilities, such as Mondus Gamma and Mondus Oculum, captured and their forges bent towards production of war materials for War Master Horus. And this isn't all of Mars. Like, half of Mars fell to Horus. But it's controlled enough that if they can get close enough, they can get all these war materials and then attack Terra. Horus's orders to Alpharius, not the orders that Alpharius and Omegon may have been following for other people, were to make sure that the Space Wolves now operating around Prospero and the White Scars who were close to that territory didn't get a chance to meet up and consolidate forces. The Khan knew of Horus's treachery at this point and would surely try to strengthen the Loyalists' cause by bringing in Russ. The Alpha Legion would launch assaults on each to confuse them and keep them as isolated as possible for as long as possible. Conrad Kurz and the Light Lords were sent to the planet of Tussa Gulsa on the eastern fringe, from which they were to start a terror campaign of genocide against the Imperium strongholds of Caroladar and Theramas. Star systems that, if taken, would act to protect Horus's war fleet's flanks, as well as being systems that controlled a large number of forge worlds that were still loyal to Terra. So If you can get these areas to flip, and if you can protect my side, I need you to go do your horrible skinning everybody bullshit. Perturabo and his Iron Warriors were headed towards the Fall System, where a large fleet of Imperial Fists were regrouping after their failed attempt to make it to Istavan 5. The Iron Warriors relished the chance to take the war to their bitter rivals, and Horus couldn't leave such a large force unmolested a force that could easily swing back to reinforce the throne world quickly. And that wraps it up for part six of our deep dive into the heresy. We have covered the opening conflicts of the heresy, and there is a lot more that we want to cover, including the Schism of Mars, the Battle of Kalf, and of course the lead up to and the Siege of Terra itself. However, next week we will be returning to the world of Warhammer fantasy to start our coverage of our first faction, the hideous rat men known as the Skaven.
1: So none of the battles following Ishvan five were as gnarly, right? I'm assuming the siege of terror was pretty crazy, but like
0: we are, probably, losses, we are
1: probably, we are
0: probably going to have a couple of episodes that will detail the schism of Mars. I think the battle of Kalth will probably be a portion of an ep. It might be a full episode, but it'll probably be a portion of an episode and we will definitely be covering what happens in the fall system between the iron warriors and the imperial fists
2: because Kalf, Kalf, it's Kalf, fucking Kalf is fucking crazy yeah that that one with the fists and them is crazy Kalth yeah. is uh probably about that scale i would say it's the it's that scale like that planet in in 40k today is still a fucked planet and fucked star like it's yeah you get to see chaos fully released but we it as far as like are we
0: going to be doing a three episode deep dive into every battle no probably not (laughs) okay it depends on how exciting the battles are but these these are like the two big exciting battles of the beginning of the heresy
1: gotcha but there is other battles that were just as crazy just as gnarly this was just more of the, the first ones that were to happen
0: yeah and a lot of a lot of the other stuff that I mean it's a nine year conflict so there's definitely a lot of stuff that happens but a lot of the battles are very very detailed and incre- and, and incremental for the actions of single heroes in them, not for what happens to the legion right we, we, we will cover the big ones that make sense and we will talk about the rest as we like get into and out of them. Like for instance, in the beginning of this episode, or not the beginning of this episode, the beginning of last episode, we talked about stuff before we talked about Istvan five. So we'll, we'll talk about, you know, we'll try to, we'll try to cover everything equally without turning into like 10 episode spreads on each battle. Unless you, unless everybody really likes it, in which case, we'll keep doing uh, it in, in that case, I'll do it, but,
2: but yeah other, otherwise yeah i'm agreeing with you ryan well most of it can be like hey this is really happened really quick in this spot while this was going on yeah these were
0: the big these are the big meaty ones the siege of terra is a big meaty one too and we'll probably yeah, get i can imagine a couple of episodes um basically anytime i feel any time that the primarchs come into direct conflict and try to kill each other we should we should we're going to talk about it. I don't yes, know why I say it, actually, we, should be that's, about. we are yeah, going that's, to talk that's about that's it. Big, that's, yeah, that's key stuff. Anytime a Legion almost get wiped, gets wiped out, we'll talk about it. So In the fall system, as an example, this conflict that's brewing between the Iron Warriors and the Imperial Fists is like, it's fucked up. It's, uh, the, Imperial, the Iron Warriors basically make a trap for the Imperial Fists and then they like force them to fight like almost like a rat maze where the rat's trying to get the cheese they force the imperial fists to fight to the center of this trap just because they're trying to kill rogel and like it's fucked up (laughs) and it explains a lot about how those two legions work but yeah like it's i it's one of those things where like there's a lot of like little conflicts that we won't be giving, you know, we'll be mentioning them in passing. But um I feel, and I know, I know that you guys like them too. When we get more into these like battle breakdowns, there's some really cool stuff that happens in them. So I like talking about them.
2: I mean, we just put it out there. If you really like this stuff, go buy the novels. If you want a really long read of a lot of books, you can get sucked into it and. I'll just say some of the books are really good, and this is where you find out which GW writers you really like and the ones you don't.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you want a thirty-hour full description of the Battle of Istvan Three and and another three another thirty-hour full description of the Drop Massacre, the audiobooks are out there, <laughs> and they'll go into they'll go into more detail than we will because we're covering we're covering the lore, we're not covering the story. I guess.
1: Yeah. My problem with them is that they're so dry. Yeah, so they are. Much. Really,
0: they really are. With the month of spooky being upon us, we are also going to have some Loris Obscurus content planned out for you guys before we dive into Malkador, the sigilite himself. So look forward to some Skaven and then look forward to some Loris Obscurus. And then we will be back to talk about Malkador as a hero of the Imperium before we jump into any of the other battle stuff that we're going to cover. Want to get into contact with us about any of our episodes or the show itself? Reach out to us through email at underthehiveofmadness@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
1: Feel free to join our community on Discord. Not only can you talk about all things lore, hobby, tactics, and 40K, but you can also get involved in other things such as Age of Sigmar, magic, role-playing games, video games, and much more. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website, underthehiveofmadness.com. And feel free to check out our battle reports and other video content with our friends at Improbable Wargaming on YouTube. Just search Improbable Wargaming on all platforms and they should pop up for you. Spelling and links should be in the show notes.
0: Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Audible, and many more. Support us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash madness all patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing so you can see all of our beautiful faces follow along with the images that we bring up on screen and hear all of our amazing blenders in real time all patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest plus we are starting to do monthly giveaways and we have perks at higher levels so go on over and check all of that stuff out the Cracked Elysium, your number one source for all things Death, syntho, punk, and grindcore. Next month, catch shows by your favorite underhive rockers. All you need to get your juices flowing. Always remember tipping just isn't another district in the Amity Hive. They can't stop our signal, no matter how deep underground they force us or how large the shadow they cast. Your light and the truthiness in the uncertain frosty cold of the long night, we are 665.66 UHMR, Camarat Radio reminding all of you chemrats hive mice and sump ghoulies to keep those dials fixed. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude.
1: In the heart of the Underhive, where despair and lawlessness reign, heed this warning, the four-armed emperors, born of a forbidden union, lurk in the phantoms in the darkness, ready to ensnare the unsuspecting and plunge them into an abyss of horror from which there may be no escape, motherfucker. Shit, <laughs> <Yeah>, son. <laughs> Fucking say something, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't you. You know, Amy. Bibbity boppity boo.